You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Chuva Sapoiskim, a very special Rishchidish Oder edition. Um, I have to say that there are two things that are coming together today, which are very meaningful to me. Uh, first, I want to uh, acknowledge uh, this is the day after the Yorzeit of my father, uh, Mayor Ben Sion, when we saw Yeshaya, who was Niftil in, uh, 22 years ago. And I want to acknowledge the presence of my brother, my older brother, Reb Shaya, Yisroi Shaya Kivilevich, who's here with us, and my sister-in-law. Um, and uh, he, he made a siyum recently on a Masechta Yuma, a Masechta of Kedusha, a Masechta of Avoida. Uh, I wasn't able to uh, attend, but um, he's joining us here. He has uh, as, as, as the, the Bechir, of the Mishpocha in terms of representing my father of Shalom, who was here, it was yesterday. I have to say that on one hand, um, this is a shear dedicated to my father, but it's really also about a second father. Uh, my father's business partner and closest friend uh, for the years that I knew when he was, I was in Memphis with him, and that is Harava Gain Rav Tzvi Greenblatt. Um, I am going to, uh, the, and the reason why I'm going to talk about this tshuva is because it is, and there might be others, uh, the uh, work on the tshuvas of Rav Nota is going on as we speak. Uh, Rav Nota was a gazun sign for Langa Langa Yorin, but he has collected over the years tshuvas. People, of course, knew his sort of his more famous nephew, Rabbi Froyim, who wrote and answered and responded uh, in, in a voluminous manner, but people uh, were less aware of Rav Nota and that Rav Nota had been dealing with uh, very difficult inyanim in Kashrus, Aloha. Um, my good friend Yoel, Rav Nota's son, told me that in Rav Moshe's last uh, period before he died, um, there was the OU needed a, a psak from Rav Moshe, and Rav Moshe was was too weak to write it, uh, and it was almost impossible to get into Rav Moshe in terms of how he was being watched in the hospital. And the OU turned to Rav Nota for Rav Nota to be able to uh, get into go to Rav Moshe and be able to get a written psak on a very important issue. And Rav Moshe. Uh, Rav Nota was able to get into Rav Nota's, Rav Nota's, Rav Nota was able to get to Rav Moshe's room, his hospital room, and was there. They spoke, and Rav Moshe told Rav Nota what each Rav Nota finishing Rav Moshe's sentences, figuring out what the psak Rav Moshe wanted. When the last psakim that Rav, Rav Moshe ever wrote, it was actually wasn't written by Rav Moshe. It was actually written by Rav Nota because Rav Nota, Rav Moshe then said, Rav Nota, you go and write this psak. Arnotta went home. He actually didn't go home. He went to his hotel. I think he had a hotel in Manhattan that night. And he sat there and wrote the psak the way Rav Moshe had given it over to him in the hospital room. I would assume that was probably, again, the year of Toshin Memvav when Rav Moshe was Nifter. Rav Nota came back to the hospital the next day and uh, he, showed Rav Nota, he showed Rav Moshe what he had written. 
And Moshe said, yeah, that's exactly the way it should be written. So we're talking here, of course, about, uh, and that is, again, just a epis, you know, mixas of the greatness of Rav Nota Greenblatt that he showed continuously. Um, I knew him, of course, as as our neighbor, our friend, my father's business partner, and I heard his voice almost every single day of every single weekday and on Shabbos. Uh, my brother was here, was a Talmud of Rav Nota on Shabbosim, Shabbos day in and day out, every Shabbos. And Rav Nota was, was the architect of making sure that our mishpocha would send the, 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 the boys to yeshiva. Um, not only did he help start the day school that we learned in, but he was also the, re- the reason as he started sending my brother uh, Shaya, my brother Mordechai, Mark, and myself also went in that derech. So Avnota, you know, uh, it, it, to me is my second father. And in that way, uh, Ravnota's psak is very, very important. And this was a psak to my father or about my father, Ovashol. So for that reason, I felt that inaugurating this shear, which I hope will lead others to come and say over Torah from Ravnota, this shear, this psak, which is relevant to my father's history and the relationship of Ravnota to my father, I wanted to share it with you. Uh, before I start the tshuva and explain what was going on, I want uh, to clarify how I got a hold of this. Um, you can see that this is Ravnota's Ksav, and it was written in, I believe, I don't know whether this is, it's, this cannot be Yud Gimel, I thought maybe it was Yud Gimel Shvat, but it was sometime in the, because <laughs> Yud Gimel Shvat was a Shabbos, but it was sometime, this might be Yud Dalid, it might be on the Sunday, the next day, this could be a Dalid, I'm not sure. But anyway, but it was February 1st, it was February 2nd, 1969, when this tshuva was written. And um, it is a, uh, as you're going to see, it's a, a tshuva that really takes, as I said in the blurb, it really deals with, although it's uh, 25 years after the Holocaust, it is still in many ways a byproduct of the horror and the terror of that actions of the Amalek of the 20th century. So here is the tshuva from Rav Nota. And I'm going to let Rav Nota's words speak, and then I'm going to try to fill them out a little bit better as we go on. Rav Yosef Kupfer, my St. Louis. Now, I knew Yosef Kupfer, uh, as a good friend of my father's, my brother tells me that they were friends from Poland already. I knew him because I always uh, heard my father speak about him. And they visited our home. We visited their home when we went to St. Louis. But he had a taina against Rav Meir Kivalevich, Meir Yoyer, Toysha There was a hefset shenigmaloi, and Kupfer felt that there was a loss that he had. Uh, I, I, again, I, I didn't say how I got a hold of this. I got a hold of this because Rav Nota's tshuvas are being prepared by a number of Choshev uh to be hopefully put out in a way, in an Oifen Nedar. Um, Rav Nota, even when I met him, and this was about four years ago, uh, it was in 2018 that I came down to Memphis in order to uh, be matapa with my sister, Allah Sholem who was very much not well. 
And I would always go to Rav Nota's house, sometimes staying at Rav Nota's house. And I discovered on Rav Nota's table a, a pile of ksovim. And this was somewhere near the top. I was going through there and I noticed on the very top line, my name or the name and the way we spell our name. So um, I immediately took out my phone and I snapped a picture of this. And um, it's been four years since I took the, almost four years since I took the picture, but I just only recently, actually last night, had the schools to learn this chuva up. And I wanna thank uh, someone who I've come to know, who's a Talmud of Rav Nota. His name is Ravmanis Blumenfrucht, a young Talmud Chochem who was Zeichad Mishamish Rav Nota uh, in Memphis and is the author of a Sefer on Chol of Yisrael. He was here on our platform a number of, of a month or two ago. So I learned this up with Ravmanis last night around midnight. So I, I'm Makertov because he has a lot more shimush and being mefaneach Rav Nota's Ksav than I do. But I think now that I've gone through this, I think I can maybe join them if they'll let me in trying to figure out Rav Nota's Psokim. But here it goes. So, um, as we said, So both of them, both uh, my father and Rav Yosel Kupfer, were in, uh, in, 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 in Europe, and they spent years after the Horban as well. Um, so, and it could be, there's a period here. After the Horban, uh, it became known so this happened over a number of years actually um, it took a while and there's a lot of politics that went into this but once it was clear that the the, the extent of the annihilation of the Jews and the Jewish communities that there was a call from the major powers uh, that would be at that time, the victorious powers, that was uh, the United States, the Soviet Union, France and England to demand from the Nazi regime, from, the, from the, what left, was left of the Nazi regime, which was actually the government that was being propped up on the ashes of, 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 of the destroyed government of the Nazis to uh, make reparations. Now, originally, those reparations in large part were being sent to Eretz Yisrael. And this had to do with a little bit of, uh, of, of the idea that whatever was, um, that, that Medina Yisrael had to accept these so many refugees, which was pushing the ability of this new state uh, to be able to to have them, to house them, to take care of them, as many of them uh, weren't able necessarily to work and contribute. So the idea was that Germany should pay uh, based on that mass immigration that occurred for the strain on the Israeli economy. That's the way the idea was was pitched. Um, and what was interesting was that there was a separate there was a separate program for individuals. So the, the state of Israel received mass amount of funds. Again, the percentages, I think it was like 80, 20%, but that was the mass amount of funds. And then there was also individual claims that victims of the Holocaust could make. 
Um, and as, as I was speaking to my good friend Benny and others today, uh, we were talking about the fact that this in Israel was considered almost one of the most contentious issues that the young state had to deal with was that there were so many, uh, especially the great lion Menachem Begin, uh, who uh, almost toppled the whole government down based on uh, this issue of whether they should take these huge reparations from from Germany. And you have to realize it wasn't like they were going to take the money and then hand it out to people who had been in the in the camps. They would use the money, which is for uh, infrastructure for the country and for things this con- the country needed. And it's possible to say that without that, Israel would not have really achieved the the incredible growth that they achieved in the 1950s uh, to be able to sort of become uh, somewhat of a modern state. And by 1960, again, you already had you know quite a fun- things were functioning quite incredibly from the time you know, from the time from 1948. So it's possible these reparations were crucial, especially in terms of providing uh, many things. On an individual basis, you had to apply. And it was interesting that at the time, in order to uh, get reparations, you had to actually have been a concentration camp laborer or a concentration camp uh, inmate. If you were not a concentration camp inmate, even though your home and your family were killed and destroyed and you had no home to come back to because the Germans through their Polish uh, allies and Ukrainian allies, whoever they were, had slaughtered and destroyed the possibility of you to be able to come back to have any sort of life, that wasn't considered at the time sufficient. Where it was only actually, you had to have been in the camps. And by the way, parenthetically, there is even today. It's it's really strange because you know I take visits to um, to my parents' graves. Shia, you know that as well. That some graves are marked survivor, and some aren't. And there's a whole debate about who deserves the title survivor. Like you can only be called a survivor if you actually were interred in a camp, and whether you were tattooed or not, and you were able to somehow uh, live. Even if your internment was only for a couple of months or whatever it is, you had the title survivor and that should go along with you. It seems like the, 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 that was in a way, it seems like that title of survivor uh, was the same idea that the, who the reparations would go to. Now, this is important to know because what happened was, is that there was someone that my father knew and that Rabbi Yossel, the Yossel Kupfer knew, who was clearly a European Jew who had lost in so many ways his, um, he had lost his life, but he was not a concentration camp internee. Kupfer though, it seems was. So what they wanted to do was, my father, Hitzia Rav Meir Rabbi Yosef, Whoever this person is, I'm not sure who he is. Uh, my brother speculates that it might have been a, a, a family, um, a relative of, of Kupfer, but it was someone that my father saw as a person who really needed something, who wasn't able, maybe emotionally or physically, because of what he had gone through, wasn't able to, to pull himself up by the bootstraps in America. And this was a way that he was able to get some money from the Germans um, that Rob Meyer knew about. 
So basically what they needed, I'm not sure why they needed the testimony of two people. Again, you know, more research is, is relevant. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure exactly why my what my father's testimony would have been, but somehow my father came up with this idea and Cooper agreed to testify that this person was in the camps. Now you have to realize there was a tremendous amount of hatred towards Germany. And there was a sense that this sort of deal of reparations for only people who had been in the camps was in itself a, uh, a crooked, or at least it was not expansive enough. And it didn't take in that reality. My friend Benny points out to me that in the, in the 1980s and later, there was a movement to change that. And, and now even people who have who suffered other sorts of displacements and destructions of their uh, of their home could also be able to appeal to the German government for reparations. But that was not the case at this time. So they wanted to provide a parnosa, so to speak, or something for this person. Uh, Rabbi Yosef agreed. They, they made the edus. Oh, that German um, efficiency kicked in. The Germans, they were still efficient even afterwards. Then they discovered that the edus was, that it was not true. This plainly was not in the camps. Uh, so what happened was like this, that Kupfer was, was able to get money as reparations, but now they had caught him and, and my father seemingly as once who had put in testimony towards it, 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 that was incorrect. So therefore the money that they had given, why they couldn't get, it's a little bit strange to me, why they couldn't take whoever this only was, they could have just gone after him. So I'm not sure why they didn't go after him, but instead they took money from the testifiers, the people who testified in order to make up for the wrong, the money that was given incorrectly to uh, this, this, this poor person. I have to tell you that this morning I spoke to someone who lived in Eretz Yisrael, who was born uh, in Munich as well, like you, Shai, uh, someone who lives in our city. And he remembers that there were many people in Eretz Yisrael that would, that would, that would also file these type of claims. And he remembers people were discovered and, and the people who filed them, the ones who testified to help their friends, were also, this was standard practice. So, again, I don't know why the person himself wasn't paying. But be, be that as it may, maybe they couldn't find him. Maybe he had passed away. Whatever it was, there was no way to get the money from the person who was the recipient. So, therefore, the German government was now deducting what the, the, the reparation money that Kupfer was getting in order to uh, recoup what they had given uh, incorrectly uh, to the Oni. So, well, Kupfer wasn't happy with that. So he said that, but he was telling that Rav Meir Garam said that. So it was my father, he was saying, is the one who should, was the one who was the Goyrem. He was a Goyrem Okay, he maybe shouldn't pay everything. He wasn't sure. Cooper would have wanted everything. 
that he got this, right? Because it was his idea. But at least he should take some of the kit. That is basically the taina that he had. Now, over there, big shemimani, Rav Nota writes, that I should tell them what I think. Now, uh, I, I'm going to say something in a minute that I feel might be behind what Rav Nota wrote. So they wanted Rav Nota to decide. I'm going to tell him in writing what I thought. Now, um, my brother reminds me that from what he remembers, Kupfer himself was not necessarily, although he was raised and was Shemer Mitzvah, at this point, the Holocaust and everything he had gone through had put him towards a little bit of a different direction. But he still felt that he was Machshiv Rav Nota enough that Rav Nota could be the rabbi, the Poisik to decide. But he says, uh, there's many reasons why I can't be the diet in Shoifet. Now, so therefore, this is a sort of a psak, but it's not a din teira psak. And I think part of it is, I would assume, and I think, Shai, you'd agree with me, that Rav Nota would have to recuse himself because he was definitely more makusher to my father than he was to, to, to Yosel Kupfer. So I think this was more an abstract psak to sort of convince also that he probably didn't have much of a case, but he wasn't going to add, this is this wasn't his it wasn't like they came to him, but Ravnota, I believe this is what Ravnota means when he says Mikama Tamim. Uh, he doesn't need to say because he's my friend and, and and my very close friend and business partner. Anyway, he says, another thing is. Obviously, and, 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 and uh, Ravnata was even in, in uh, Ravnata was fifty years old at this time. I think Ravnata was fifty something years old at this time. So, um, no, I, I'm sorry, he was forty something years old. He's born 1925. So, I'm sorry, 19. Ravnata was born 1925. So, Ravnata at this point was forty, was forty three years old. When he wrote this, it was 43, but Rav Nota was 43 when he wrote this psaac. And he says, I don't want to be a Don Yechidi, um, but, but I'll tell you what I think. They want to really go to a Din I don't have any problem with that. Okay. So now Rav Nota figured he's going to, okay, that's the history. The rest here is Rav Nota as, an, as doing his analysis. That's what we're talking about. Rav Nota, how would you analyze this question? Now, remember, Rav Nota, although he was, uh, as I said, a Talmud of the Briskarov, a Talmud of Rav Yashaber, a Talmud of Rav David, I'm sorry, a Talmud of Rav Moshe, uh, a Talmud Chover of Rav Michal, a Talmud of Rav David Vivitz. Uh, he had been living in Memphis at this point, um, for um, almost 20 years. And um, so Rav Nota was going to roll up his sleeves and take it like a yeshiva man. How do you deal with this question? So um, so he starts off by quoting a Ramo in Simon Shin Peivov. Ramo in Simon Shin Peivov says, and I have it here, 
Simon Shabbat is about Groma Benaziken with Dina de Garmi. Rav Nota writes later that this is one of the hardest uh, simonim in Shulchan Aruch to figure out, and one of the hardest sugis to figure out is the difference between Groma and Garmi. Basically, we know that a person is not responsible for indirect damage. Um, even though it can be in, in, in American secular law, the cases can be made. But in, in, in halacha, there needs to be a direct cause and effect. Um, now, <laughs> it's a little bit ironic that that one of the tainas that, that you could have been machayev that's possibly our Reb Meir, is based on the Tana Reb Meir. Because <laughs> the Tana Reb Meir is doyen dina de garmi. Could this be garmi? Could this be a case where it's not so indirect? Um, so, for example, one of the classic cases of garmi is hasoyref shtar shel chaveiroi. Right? So if, if, if I have a star choyiv on someone and the other person um, uh, and, and the, someone comes and burns my star, so even though technically the money is still owed me, my ability to collect has been completely very much curtailed, especially if the person doesn't have any liquid assets. As he says, the star is not mamun itself, but it's goram la'avid mamun. So that would be a case of, of Garmi that you'd have to pay. That would be a case of Garmi. Now, here the Ramal gives you um, another case, as you can see, where the Ramal says that he brings a number of cases. Soifer Shekos of Shtar. Because of mana b'moka masayim. Let's say you're you, you paying a soifer to write up a shtar. And instead of saying the 200 zoos that was owed, he wrote 100. And the guy says, I'm not paying that. Could you go to the soifer and say, you were goyrim, it's garmi, because of you, I can't collect. And you know that the choyv was 200. The other eight, he says, oh, I'm masik with chavero what about that case? You gave me a bad Eitzah. So the Ramah writes, that's not called Garmi. That's called Groma. And therefore, Kulam Pturim, the Lowavayela Groma bin Nizokim. So that is, the, Rav, Rav Nota quotes that. So even if you want to say that Rav Meyer, my father, Olasholem, gave to Yosel a Eitzah, an Eitzah which caused him a Hezek, an Eitzah, you're not Chayiv. May, it's only a grama, and you would be potter. Now, the Rama and Rav Nota gets quotes this as well a little bit later. He says, "The Yesh Oymrim, which is the sheet of the Ritzvon Baba Basra, the Bechol Grama Benezokin Imudovar Shchiach Verogil Chayev L'Shalom Yishum Knas." So, uh, this sheet of the Ritzvah really feels that you can break your head trying to figure out the difference between groma and garmi and any you might be able to distinguish between one classic case to the other but the differences don't hold water eventually 
it does seem that Garmi, according to Teisvis, is not a real uh, halachic minatorah reason to have to pay. But Chazal felt there were certain things where you had generated this problem and it happens enough that Chazal put it under a new, created a new, uh, a new uh, designation called Garmi, and Garmi is Chayev because we don't want it happening. So, so first of all, uh, Rav Noto will come back to this. But first of all, Rav Noto says it's not, uh, an eight, even if you want to say that Rav Meir gave an Eitzirah, Eitzirah is not enough of, of a reason to, uh, uh, giving a bad Eitzirah, you can't bring a case and win. All right, so let's go on. So what might be the din? Rav Noto says there's two possibilities. It's either Arev, or maybe it could be an Arev, he says, that's Arev, which means, what is Arvus? Arvus means a person creates, again, it's, it, it's sort of like a, I get, let's say, for example, Ruven, Shimon, and Levi. So Levi is able to, um, uh, we call it a guarantor, but Arev is actually a little bit more deeper than that. It isn't just saying, I will pay in case uh, Shimon can't pay. That's your classical co-signer. But also, if the whole loan only goes through because of Levy, so Levy is an automatic Arev that can be held responsible. And we know when you have an Arev, an Arev, you can actually go to Levy first. So Ruben doesn't have to go to Shimon. Ruben doesn't have to be Matri, have to go to Shimon if he's lent the money because there's a co-signer or a guarantor. What creates the situation of a guarantor? So uh, it, it, could my father have been considered a guarantor that this was going to work? In other words, you see sometimes a person just says something and, and because, let me explain it better, like the Gemara Kedushan says, there's, I feel good that you lent this person money because of me. That's what the Gemara Kedushan says, that Kedushan Medin Arev, that the reason why Arvus is a Hischaibus, the reason why when you see, uh, you commit to be a guarantor, it isn't just your word. It's because of what you did that somebody else goes ahead and commits themselves and gives out money. So the question is, since my father was the mastermind here of this plan, so maybe Midin Arev, he was going to say, yeah, well, go ahead and do it. And, 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 and therefore, it's like, I'm going to take responsibility. Um, Rav Nota said that that could be one way that you could win. The other way is a, a straight out mazik because of because it's a sort of it would be bigger than a grama garmi. So Rav Nota ends up, and I don't know why he really got gets into it, because it really, it, it seems like the connection to Arev is very weak. But when you learn a sugi, you learn a sugi. So he says, um, Arev needs Kabbalah. Now, we know that there's a case in Shulchan Aruch, in Simen um, uh, Kufchovtes. In Simen Kufchovtes and Shulchan Aruch, there's a case where, let's say, Ruvain Shimon and Levi. And Levi says to Ruvain, you know, I think he's a pretty good, he's a guy you can lend money to because I know he has, he's a guy who pays his debts. He's a person who has a lot of liquid assets. A person who says that, according to the Shulchan Aruch, has a din of 
an Arev. Because, again, it's the same mechanism. Because of his, because of his good words, the person did it. And therefore, he can be held responsible for the debt. Um, Rav, Rav Nota quotes a tshuva from Rav Moshe, which was written in 1963, again, with Rav Nota being um, not yet 40, a tshuva to Rav Nota having to do with seemingly uh, a, um, a person who was involved in this school, uh, a teacher, a uh, teacher issue that Rav Moshe wrote about to Rav Nota. Ephraim's Chuvis, uh, there's name is all over Igris Moshe. I don't know how many times Rav Nota's name is in um, is in Igris Moshe, but this is one of the first times it appears in the first Chaluk of Choshen Mishpat. So Rav Nota quotes that as well. But he says that um, um, Arev um, needs some sort of umdana that you were saimech on that person. Um, so where, how could you see that Kupfer somehow felt that Kivalevich's understanding of the mechanism of reparations is what he was basing on? He didn't say that. So therefore, he can't say, well, he, he's the one who says if anything goes wrong, uh, he's going he's to put his shoulder there. That was never said. There was never any Kabbalah from my father, and, and Kupfer never said that specifically. And Rav Nata says, therefore, it becomes Dvarim Shebelev. Now, um, and, and, and Rav Nata says, if anything, why should you think that somehow my father would have been more responsible? He says, it's if you would say that my father, let's say it'd be a real uh, testimony, and my father would have known more. So you could say, well, clearly he's the one uh, who's the main person and he's schlepping him along. But he says over here, despite the fact that it was my father's idea, both of them knew that what they were testifying was not true. So what is, so it's not that Kupfer was so mech on him because what Kupfer brought to the table was nothing, was, was in a way even better because Kupfer was in the camps themselves. My father could have maybe only been made, as Benny pointed out to me, that maybe he got on the transport. But as far as I know, and I think my brother will agree, I don't think my father was in the camps to be able to be made. This other guy was there. The most he could say was that maybe I saw him get caught and was thrown on the train, and Kupfer could say, yeah, he was in the camp with me. But therefore, they both knew what they were saying was a fiction. And therefore, you can't say that there was reliance of one more than the other. So what was what was my father's role? He was Maramokim. He says, look, we have a chance to help another Jew. Let's do it. And, 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 and even if it's at the expense of a regime that has so much blood on their hands and should be should be giving money to everyone. And as I said, I heard from someone who lived in that period that this was the attitude of so many Israelis and Americans and so many people that, that came out that get them for everything that whatever whatever we get will never make up for what they lost and therefore they felt that they were justified in doing that um now then he says the second thing bays midin garmi so Rav Nota says shehi mahalochais hachamurais 
<laughs> it's and it's true. If you take a look, the pages and pages of Ktsilis and Nesivas, <laughs> again, you could sit there for months on on Chrom and Garmi. He says, Ain Lachayev. He says, why? He says, one of the Sibas of, of, of Garmi, where Chazal make you pay, is where it's Bori Hazeka. I burn your star, you're not getting paid. But one of the cases that the Gemara mentions and the, and the Rosh and the Mikiyasa mentioned Babakama is Shisa Bayasakelev. So, as you know, an owner can say, sick him, right? An owner has a power about a, a, a guy on the side who, because she's a Bayasakelev, that's a din mazik on the owner. Here, a third party goes to a, a, a mastiff, a pit bull, whatever it is, and gets that dog excited in front of a third, uh, in front of the person he doesn't like. So can you be Machayev the Mishasa? Can you be Machayev that person? So the Rosh says you can't be Mechayevim based on, even though it's clear that the guy got bit and hurt, but you can't be Mechayevim because it wasn't Bari Hazeka. So he says, How can you say that this case is, you caused me this loss? Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, even if you want to assume that it's because of my father that he did this, this action of going and, and testifying and, 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 and getting this guy uh, uh, getting this guy signed up in order to receive reparations. Is it so Bari Azeka? First of all, she is Gala. There's so much, there was so much going on in Europe at the time, so many identity issues. People coming to the states, yes, Holocaust, not Holocaust. Where are they from? Who? Who says that they're going to get their act together to figure out that this little Jew was actually not in the camps? Who will say that they actually would get from the person? I mean, is, is, was that such standard procedure that they'd be able to collect it from Kupfer? Oh, I feel him year two. Even if they would send letters, we think you owe us money. <laughs> Who says Shayuku Who says they would have the means to collect it? Now, here again, it's a little bit obviously, if they're sending you money, they can decide to not send you as much money, right? But who says that's going to happen? Bureaucracy and discoveries, none of that thing is Bari Hazeka. Definitely, it's less Bari Hazeka than the pit bull that's being, that's being stirred up to jump at somebody else. Then he says, and especially even though the Ramah quotes it as the Yesh Oymrim, to make someone pay, like my father, the Yesh Oymrim is an important enough opinion, which is the Ritzvah. And the Ritzvah says the whole idea of Garmi is what? It's a Knas. As Rav Nota says here. So, uh, it's, so, first of all, it's not Shriach. This doesn't count. So it, it would be Grama. And also, he says, even if you want to say that it can be included under the umbrella of things that are Shriach, but still, there's no Kavana Seilahazik. Right? It has to be, right? Now, again, right? So, first of all, it has to be right now. There, it makes sense. You're trying. You don't want the person to to pay. That's not what's going on over here. Um, 
And we know why, according to the Ritzvah, we, we make people pay because this is such, shtaros are so common that if you wouldn't make people pay for burning shtaros, everybody would do it because it would be the easiest way to cause a person a loss. Another case that it's in Shulchan Aruch and Simon Shinvav that Rav Nata researched for this was the case of Mara Dinner Shulchani. Now, this is a case where it's not Kavanasei Lahazik, but basically what happens is like this. You know, again, coins were always rubbed out. Some of them were counterfeit. A person would get them in various business deals. It wasn't as organized as it is today and so ironclad in terms of getting cash from an ATM machine and all monies were fungible. Here, since it was precious metal, you needed often to make sure that the, the coin that you received is at, was actually worth the metal that it was supposedly represented. So who would you go to get this? You would go to a shulchani, a person who was an expert in looking at coins and seeing whether this was a coin that was indeed proper currency or not. So somebody shows a dinner to the shulchani, and it turns out that that coin is what? That coin is not able to be circulated. So we know in that case, <laughs> somebody comes back and says, did you pay me with that coin? You owe me. So now it turns out you're going to have, you're going to have to pay double. If, 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 you, if the, if the shulchani had done his job, right, you would never have used that coin. But now that you did, you actually have to take money, new money out to pay. So there, the shulchani wasn't trying to ruin you. He just made a mistake. So Rav Nata says, that in that case, even though we make the shulchani pay, because therefore we know, especially if you paid the guy, to you paid him the $10 to whatever it is, his $5 to look at the coin for his time. The dinner is, let's say, $25, $100. So you pay him $5 to give the stamp on it that it's good. So you clearly are so mech on him. And that's right. So there's no kavanah but you definitely are so machanim. And again, he quotes Simen, Shin, Vav, and Shulchan Aruch. Then he quotes, again, Rav Nota's Bikiyas here is Givaldik. He quotes uh, a, a Ramah in Simen Yudalid in Shulchan Aruch, which I want to show you because I think it has relevance. It's one of my, <laughs> I like It wasn't always easy to get a, a Dayan. In Memphis, Tennessee, it would be hard to, to convene a Din often. But let's say two people have a, one has a tine on the other, and he says, "You know what? Let's go to another place for a din." All right, it makes sense. Those are dayonim; they understand stuff. And then he tells him, "All right, but you know what? I got some business to take care of. I'll meet you there soon." <laughs> you go there. I'll meet you there. So the first guy who. Uh, who, who, maybe it's the guy who has the tiner, the guy who goes, right? So, so basically, he's got to pay because I didn't go. I only went there because you said we would have a din Torah there. So it's because of you I was there. So now. All my forget about the din Torah that will take care of too. But you also owe me for my schlepperai to that other city, whatever it costs my travel expenses. So in other words, I went because you told me to go. 
and but you didn't show up. So now I can come back to you and and, and get that money. Once again, Rav Nota says that that's not what happens over here. He says over here, Samach Rak Advar Shiyasike Avo 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 Bididan Ma Shaych Shasamachavav. He says, how could you say that 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 Kupfer was so Machan Kivalevich? Why? That did 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 Kivalevich know more? They both were liars here, even though again they lied for a good cause. They lied because they wanted to save someone, they lied to give Parnassa to someone, they lied because the, 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 the law was unjust, they lied because they had been suffering, whatever the reason was. But they they meant it Ushem Shamayim. And therefore, both of them, although Kupfer got the idea second, there's no, he's not being Saimach more than the other one. And in fact, Rav Nota then says that there's an umdana that, and he, and he says, why would a person do this? Why did the, the whole thing happen? For a mitzvah. We assume a Jew, no matter what his state of religiosity at the time, but especially when it comes to chesed and tzedakah, a Jew wants to do a mitzvah. His whole purpose in doing it is la'avaydas mitzvah. So, what probably is he thinking? Haposhet shesavar Rabbi Yosef, sheschar mitzvah, right? Mikol mokom sheishtatev v'dvar mitzvah, zehu sholatzmai. What he wants from it, what is he going to get from it? He wants the schar of the mitzvah. Kamoshi yeshur of meir schar mitzvah delay. Why assume that this is somehow some sort of uh, Svengali, that Kivalevich is a Svengali, getting him to do stuff? What's going on is we both want the mitzvah of helping this third party. So we know that whenever a person goes to do a mitzvah, Rav Nata says, Madua Nizbar, Shechoshev Sheim Hefsid, Why should we think that even though my father over Shalom planned it, that Kupfer is thinking, well, if this doesn't go, if something goes bad, I'm going to go back to you. Since they're both trying to do a mitzvah, and what do you get from a mitzvah? The schar of a mitzvah? You want that schar for yourself. This is your act. Someone else convinced you to do it, but now you're part of that mitzvah too. So what does that mean, Rav Nata is saying? It's not just, oh, I had to go to the, uh, I had to make a call uh, to the German consulate and I had to drive to Ichves, to Washington to do that. That's not what he means by Lefum Tzara Agra. He means the risk as well. Even the risk that you take, maybe that it could backfire and that you could end up paying for it. You took that all into consideration, Rav Nata's timing, because you wanted to do a mitzvah. And you know your mitzvah is actually, is the mitzvah which, whether it was a mitzvah or not, I leave to others to decide. You know, again, to me, it seems like it was a mitzvah, because to me, it would seem that the gazettes, the way the law was set up, seems to have been unjust. And it seems like this poor guy deserved to get reparations, although technically uh, it didn't uh, correspond to what was written. But the, the, the two of them, my father and his friend from Lodge, thought they were doing a mitzvah. And therefore, since they were machaven v'advar mitzvah, so clearly they wanted the schar of the mitzvah as well, because the schar of Maruba Yoser, even with the risk. So that, to me, is the most machudishtika part in this, in this psaq from Rav Nota, the way he's actually taken it from where Kupfer was going 
almost to the to the opposite extreme, and donning him lekaps chus as a yid who wants to do mitzvahs. Now, then he says, Sof Dover Rav Nota finishes, Sheini Roya Medina, Shum Tzad Chiyav Al Rav Meir, Lishtat Lepiv Seido Shirab Yosef. Now, Ubavadai, Mishum Mifnim Mishuris Adin. You see the person's upset, you see the person is lost. Umishum Uman Telech Bederach Toivim. I'm not sure if Rav Nota is, is oimate that there's these two are, are, are two ways of saying, Fnim Mishur is going beyond the strict law. So with Nimishur Sadin, I believe, is a stronger statement from Rav Nata than what he says here. That's sort of like, oh, okay, it's a Mila. With Nimishur Sadin could actually sometimes be imposed if, 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 if especially if there's a Shtar Birurin, uh, like, 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 meaning that the two sides agree to whatever uh, the Bezdin says. And they wouldn't be considered doing something weird because with Nimishur Sadin, for certain people, is demanded, like the Gemara says in Asaychas about Rav and other Amaroyim, that they were Mechuyiv to go with Nimishur Sadin. So I'm being Medayik from Rav Nota that these are, it's not two ways of saying the same thing, it's, it's two different levels. But then he says, Mosur Lahanitva, that's up to the Nitva, and that was my father, Imroitza. If he wants and he feels that that's what he wants to do, then he could pay him. Now, I can tell you that years later, this was 1969, uh, six years later, when we were visiting my brother in St. Louis at that time, I remember we went to visit uh, Yossel, and I remember the two of them seemed to be quite friendly at the time. I remember they were talking and schmoozing, and I remember Yossel especially was showing me everything that was over there. I think it was either in, it was either in Chesterfield, I think it was in Chesterfield or Ledoux, one of the suburbs of St. Louis. So I, I would want to say maybe based on Rav Nota's Psak that this Torah wasn't Govebeneim, and he was able in a certain ways also to, to be Mahana, my father, that his childhood friend should remain uh, on that side. I want to, in the time that's remaining here, I'd like to die 1986. It obviously, I mean, we, we thought Ramesha was going to be the Mavasar for Mashiach for us. Uh, those of you remember that Ramesha died on Tainus Esther of that year. And many of us breathed a great sigh of relief when Zion Oder occurred because we figured Rav Moshe was named Rav Moshe because he was born on the latest Moshe Rabbeinu. So we assumed that that we were going to get one more year from Rav Moshe. So it was a shock that although he lived past Zion Oder, that Yud Gimel Oder, that he passed away. Again, I wasn't with Rav Not at that time. But I know that he spoke a number of times by the Shloshim, by the Shiva, by the Shloshim. And these remarks are based, what he writes here is based on uh, the remarks that he wrote. And he put it into the Sefer, Kereya Chasode. So Arnata is really wants to know what does it mean that the Rabbani Shalom is Kodesh? What does Kedusha mean? And how can we be Makayim V'Yisim Kedosh? If the Rabbani Shalom is, 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 is his, as Arnata says, that because I'm Kaddish, you have to be Kaddish. But how does that work? Um, now, it's true. You can, you, you can be Misnaheg. 
Rav Nota says there's another pasuk of halachta bedrochav. That's different than being a kadosh. Halachta bedrochav. There's a way Rav Nota says that you can be makayimit, which is rachmanus, rachum, chanun, other things. So you can model that behavior. Uh, you can model that behavior by yourself. So you can model that. But how is it that you can be makayim kadoshim like the rabbonishol? That's Rav Moshe's question, Rav Nota's question. So Rav Nota wants to say like this, Kedusha means that it's almost indescribable. And in a way, it's such an aspect that's beyond, that it's beyond our ken of God as a creator. It's for you on anything that we can actually reckon with or relate to. That's true. God's Kedusha. But Rav Nata says, We have to be able to, even though Kedusha would seem by definition to mean beyond imitation, the Torah says you can do it. So he says, one of the things the Torah teaches us, and Yemei Apurim teaches us especially, the type of tzedakah. And I want to tell you about Rav Nota as well, that Rav Nota, despite the fact that he was extremely sharp and that he would burn you if you said something silly or stupid, Rav Nota would do anything to help another Jew, no matter what it was. And he says that by the Rabbi Nisholem, yes, the Rabbi Nisholem is beyond. But we know not only does he recreate the world at every minute, but Rav Nata points out, meaning, in other words, the Rabbani Shalom is most involved in a way, despite the fact to the one that no one cares about. So despite the Kedusha, which is beyond, he's the one who's taking care of the Oni, the Yosem. He's the one that's considered the connector to the one who's, who has the least. So he says that, if you think about Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, we know from the Rambam, as he's quoting, uh, he quotes the Rambam in the Parish of Mishnayis, that he reaches the Madreig of Amalach. And, and Rav Nata uses the Gemara in Shabbos to prove that. Because when the Malachim say, Ma Yilud Isha Beinenu, so Rav Nata says, this is a diak only Rav Nata would make. In other words, when they said, what's this Yilud Isha doing here? So normally you say, what are you doing here? You're a fish out of water. What's this mermaid doing uh, on land? But, but Rav Nata's Medayik Farkert, Rav Nata's saying, hey, other than the fact that he happens to be a person born as a human being, of course he could be here. The only thing is, he's got this, so that doesn't pass for him to be here. But other than that, Moshe Rabbeinu is, has reached the Madreig of Malachim. So, is that the way Moshe Rabbeinu was? Was Moshe Rabbeinu, although he'd reached that Hasoga, he had in a way bonded with the celestial beings in terms of his ability to perceive. Is that what he was? Haloi hoya patronum bavim shal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, was so connected to the Jewish people. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu was so makusher. M- m- this is a little bit, I, I mentioned to Rav Nata that this was different than his Rebbe's 
pshat, because his Rebbe has a whole shtickle here about um, about the difference between Moshe and Aaron. And but I mentioned to Rav Nata when I spoke to him about this that this was different than Rabbi Yosheber. But he says, look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe was the caringest person. Even the people who he was closest to didn't realize where he was holding intellectually, spiritually. They thought he was a regular novi. He had the madrega of a malochim. So that is what a level of, of that Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us. So, as he says here, um, even Ben as much as we think that's Aaron's job, Moshe Rabbeinu was also involved in that. Um, that's what he says, whatever the issue is, Dover, not necessarily halacha, Rav Nota is learning al pidrush. Whatever people needed, every Dover, Moshe Rabbeinu was there to be there, even though in his brain and his neshama, he was all the way beyond anybody. So he could be functioning on two levels. So Rav Nota says, and this is a little personal thing that he wrote later, he says, because Ravnota went to the Altona Cemetery and Ravnota spent a long time. One of the things Ravnota loves to do, I mean, he is not only a, a, a appreciating a history, he is a machadish in terms of historical things and, 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 and documents. And he wanted to go to the, and he spent hours at the cemetery reading the Matsevois. He says, he says, every, every, almost every gravestone, and we have pictures of many of them, is almost like a, 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 an artistic piece in itself. And he says, when he went to the Balatumim, and uh, it's, it's Sugapas for Avnota to call him the Balatumim, because again, that's how so we might say the Balyar is the Vash, we might say, right? But Avnota is the Tumim. That's Rabbi Yenis He says he found the words Rabbeinu Akodesh. So I asked Rav Nota about this. He says it's Kemat, the only one that it says Rabbeinu Akodesh, and all tremendous Rabbonim that are buried there. David, I'm not sure if David Up and I might have been there, but 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 great Rabbonim. It never it didn't say the word Hakodesh. So Rav Nota said, I was thinking He says, and then. He then did some research in the Pincus of Kivas Altuna Hamburg. Now, the Pincus, of course, was what these, um, it wasn't necessarily written by a great Rabbonim. It was written by the Gaboyim of the city. And they would write the, the minutes of the town, what Sadoka they were giving, who came to this Asifa, what Takana is in the Kahila. And again, a lot of these Pincus and Sfarim have been published. Some of them are very rare. It's hard to get a hold of. But he found the Pincus of of, of Altuna Hamburg, and it wrote there. I don't know who wrote it, but he wrote in the Machlekes that that Rabbi Yaakov Emden uh, basically spearheaded against Rabbeinus uh, and Ivishitz. It wrote there that the Rebbe is learning Bikvius. In other words, nothing changed in terms of his day in day out behavior. The, the Rabbi Yenison was there learning as if nothing was going on. So Rav Nota says, maybe that's the pshat that they understood him as a Kodesh. He says, it was like a, a, um, a, 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 a sharp knife. What is it? A hatchet? 
it's it's more than that. It's sort of like a uh, a scythe <laughs> that's coming down. Most people would have. And by the way, it wasn't the first time. You know, he was fighting that off for years. Rabbi Yonason, but Rav Nota doesn't have to be responsible for that. But the point is, is that yes. But when this came down, when he was at the top of his game, and this came with this type of attack, so well, he learned Kilo Adam. There's no Machlekes. Who cares? That's kedusha. Kedusha means to be that. Now, one part of kedusha is that you're holding on this level and you're still involved with people. That's Moshe Rabbeinu as a Kodesh. Kodeshim to you. To realize both could be, and you don't just have to pay a, uh, direct attention to the fact that you're this high Yid. You can be, as I saw Rav Nath and others, being involved with the most Kleinikite in terms of everybody's uh, needs, betzrochem, from the Aniyam of the city. But the other thing is, is that you don't let it affect you. You don't let your personal tsaris shatter you and, and take you away from your what you're what you know you're meant to do and what you and others expect you to be doing and they don't see it on you that you're upset or you're frustrated he says and Rav Nota can say that because he was but obviously he says I asked Rav Nota about this as well everyone would say the Igris Moshe Rav Nota says no he Bedavka wrote the Dibras Moshe because Rav Nota felt that the Igris was something similar to Rav Nota himself, who sort of was forced to become the Moyo and to be, make the Eruv. Rav Nota became the Moyo in Memphis, and it was my Moyo because the Moyo, the first year he got there, Pesach, I forgot who the, what the Moyo's name was, the Moyo had a heart attack, and, and, and Rav Nota uh, to become the Moyo of the Shtot. The Rav Moshe, in the same way, came here, and although he was writing Psalkim, he realized it was it was a bika matzah that he had to he had to fulfill. People were coming to him, so he becomes the Paisik of America. But Rav Nata said ultimately he calls him the Rosh Hashiva, and 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 and, and Shai, you could also be made on that. And that's in the that's Azay Rifmanim, the Talmidim Amufakim, as the Rosh Hashiva of the Shiva of Masif Shalayim, but also the author of Dibras Moshe. So the Baal Dibras Moshe, which is Rav Moshe finds things safer on, on Chidushim on Shas, which you need, to, you need to put hours and hours to really get properly uh, the understanding of what's in that safer, because it's written very long. I wouldn't say long-winded, but the ideas are, are, take a long time to develop. There's complexity. That's the safer Rav Nota understood was Rav Moshe's masterpiece, the Dibras Moshe. She had Steina, but Ramesh was but Steiner Midazu. Kamavakamashonim Yosha Berusia in Benebesoi. He says, Ravnota uses a very interesting term here, Meklacha Shosina, a shower of hatred, Viridifa, Bedirat Sora, Baosak Beterabas Mora Maflia. And by the way, and he's going to say, this is, I know is true. Davke Betechtonayim Evo Huber Marochas Agdalim Shalem Hushtu Rove Tarosai. What he did in white Russia during the period where he was under a house arrest, where things were going on, where kids were being taken from their homes, where, where they didn't know what, what was going to happen. They thought the country was going to fall. People were going to be taken to the gulag. That's where Rav Moshe becomes Rav Moshe. And it was the learning that he did there that he says that he was able to really build the, the sodas that make Rav Moshe Rav Moshe came under the worst extreme conditions. 
And he says, even the Chedusha Shas and the Chuvas, most of those principles Rav Nota argues were developed by the relatively young man in Luban. There are Chuvas from Luban as well, but 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 even what he what he wrote when he came to America was based on the notebooks that were started. Many of them I don't think made it; they weren't able to get all the notebooks. But it was the, the ideas were developed while swirling around him could have been the worst horrible condition. He says, "Midazu shall precious to be able to just concentrate and not allow what's happening out there to to knock you off your game." Omdalogam kishenitzal. True, Rav Moshe knew he had to work in the yeshiva, he had to be involved, convention, nocha convention, nocha nasifa, Rav Moshe was going to all these things, but he says that Rav Moshe kept his essence of learning, never was knocked off of his game, he always understood how dovuk he had to be where he had been. He says, Rav Nota remembers when he was in America as a young man out of Newark, learning Chavetz Chaim and, and then going to uh, MTJ and being by Rav Moshe. And what they were hearing was so shocking and so terrible. And you can imagine, we're, we're not even involved. I mean, there's 200,000 Yid in Bosnia, I'm sorry, in, in, in Ukraine. And we uh, want to hear the news. Can you imagine what it was to be in the 19, late 30s and the 40s and the mid 40s hearing news coming out of Europe? He says it was connected to for people to concentrate. But not Rav Moshe. But he says, Rav Moshe was davening, and Rav Nata saw that he was crying and saying to him, he says, look at his chidushim on Rav Sugis Hashas, his chuvas, hundreds of people, that's Rav Moshe's koyach, to separate himself, to be able to concentrate himself and everything he was, the depth of his thoughts, consistently in Divrei Torah. But he says, did that ever stop him from caring about people? He says he was the biggest caring about people. He was always there putting his name at all the Maistas Atera, Bachesed, listening to everyone. And I saw this myself when I was able... <laughs> When I was able to see Mzocha to be uh, by Rav Moshe, uh, and we know the stories about it are 100% true, how Rav Moshe was so involved in people waiting till the last minute before Shabbos to answer questions from, from women about when it was time for, for, for Lichtzend. And he says, That's not, it's not, it's, it's not an anomaly. That's, it's not just called, I'm away from everybody and I'm learning. I'm, a, I'm an automaton. That's called Kedusha. Because if you're not, remember what God is. God is the closest to the Almona, to the Yosem, to the person who has nothing. If you don't have, if, you, if, if you're just one without the other, you haven't Makayim Kedoshim. 
if you have now, I don't know about Rabbi Anderson Ibishitz. I don't know how much he was connected with the day-to-day tsaris of people in the community. I know he wrote Kameas for them, but I'm not sure exactly if he was a kiyum of what Rav Nota was talking about. Clearly, the people in the community saw that, but you have to have both. You have to be unfazed, you have to be completely dedicated, you have to have that hasmoda neira. And that you are almost the same and even greater, despite everything that's throwing around you. But at the same time, you have to be connected with humanity. You have to care. You have to show that you're involved. Otherwise, that's not really Kedusha. And that's what he says. That's what Kedushim to you means. And, 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 and what is the end of the Pasuk? You can do it, Ki Kodesh Ani. Meaning, what is Kodesh Ani? There's Kodosh, right? There's, there's being a Kodosh, but it's Ki Kodosh Ani Hashem. Meaning, I'm still, I'm still the one who created everything. I'm still Yud Kei Vav Kei. I'm still involved in keeping the world going. Avo Ani Hashem. Kedoshim Tiyu Ki Kodosh Ani Hashem. That's the way we have to be. So this was Rav Nota's Hespid and Marocha, but I think it really shows uh, it, it isn't just your standard vart about what does it mean to be a good person and to care and to be a manig. He really had his own original take on the Kiyom Lagamri of Kedoshim. And you can see that Rav Moshe represented for Rav Nota that dogma, and I can tell you that despite, you know, uh, and no one can be Rav Moshe, <laughs> I can tell you that Rav Nota tried to model that uh, completely, and I saw that in his interactions uh, in terms of the community, and also, of course, I saw that in his interactions even with, with my family, uh, with my father, Lasholem. Rav Nota was, uh, my father died 22 years ago. Rav Nota made sure that he was at the airport when we brought his coffin. And Rav Nota, despite, he wasn't a spring chicken, he was in his 70s there. Rav Nota, Rav Nota was the Metahir. The head of Hebrekadisha, my father was head of Hebrekadisha. Rav Nota usually was not involved in, in, in doing Taharis. That wasn't his job. My father was the head of Kedisha, other people. But from when my father came, when we brought my father uh, to, 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 to be... For, for the Tahara in Memphis, although he'd been living with me for seven years, Rav Nota was the Matar. Rav Nota was there at the airport. Rav Nota made sure it was, that he went with the... with the. And in that way, um, despite the Madregas that he had in learning, I think he was going Bederach, his Rebbe, of Mekayim Kedoshim Tiyu, Ki Kodesh Ani Hashem, Soivu, especially someone who... the person who has nothing. Um... I didn't hear this from Rav Nota, but I heard from the other Metahar, my cousin Alan, um, who said to me that um, that uh, the the wounds that he saw on on uh, on my father, the wounds from the bed sores and others, that Rav Nota was was so was so um, uh, shocked and so it, it was it was alive to him in such a in such a terrible way, how it brought forth what it means to suffer. We're going to hope that this is just the beginning of our sort of exploration of Rav Not and his third and his
So thank you for listening. It should be, we should, uh, we should, Rav Nasser should continue to be Mamshech in, in his own Avoida. And uh, the people who have never perished and who survived the show and who survived afterwards, they should be Mewitza Yeshua for us in this Zman. At... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.